Romans chapter 4 and verse 11. Middle of a thought, of course, but it says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Of course, Paul is making a clear point in this passage, very much related to the fact that circumcision is not in itself tied or, or a proof of faith itself. We've been discussing faith the past few weeks, and as we sort of develop those thoughts, I don't know who else we could look at as one of the greatest examples of faith. Of course, there's plenty that we could. But when you see that he, he received the sign of circumcision, why did God give that to Abraham? You go back and he required that of Abraham back then. And he required it of him after he had begun his walk with God. Interesting thought to me. He had that faith that he had while he was still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe. I think that's the purpose of what's going on there. The fact that Abraham began this walk with God before the sign of the circumcision had been made clear to him was so that he could be the father of all those who believe. And that righteousness might be imputed to them also in the same way that it was imputed to Abraham. That it was on this basis that Abraham believed, he had that faith, and of course he acted upon that faith. Because we see not only those who are of the circumcision, not just the Jews, but those who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Remember in the epistle to the Romans, he's not just talking to Jews, of course, he's talking to Gentiles as well. We see so much error today, don't we? We so see error in our society, error in our schools, error in our churches and our families. And let me suggest, if we don't see the problems, we're not really looking around. We're not really considering what the reality this, these things are. But if we follow the example of Abraham's faith, I think we can have the kind of life that pleases God. We want to look at the faith of Abraham. What did he do? What did he establish? What did he show us? And of course, to do that, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. I hope this is not too much of a uh, uh, giving away of what we're going to be dealing with later on in our quarter in our 9 a.m. class. But, uh, but one thing that we want to recognize is that it's good for us to talk about certain topics, to discuss certain things, but we all know that examples, clear-cut examples in the Bible can be in some ways uh, more powerful than simply learning the nuts and bolts of a topic. How do we see this acted out? One of the things, again, that I want to stress, that I've already stressed in our 9 a.m. class, is how you see in these patriarchs a personal 
relationship with God. I would suggest that you read through Genesis, and as you're reading through Genesis in preparation for our studies this quarter, ask yourself and help me out, does God ever rebuke Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob? Does he ever punish Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob? I don't know. (laughs) I would suggest that all of these men had a certain special relationship with God. And it's the same kind of relationship that we can have. And the key to that relationship is faith. A lot of things that we could say about Abraham and faith. I've got a lot of things to move through today. But first of all, I would suggest that Abraham had an obedient faith. Back in Genesis 12 and verse 1, it says there, The Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. What do we see here about Abraham? He knew and he learned what true obedience cost. And we're going to talk a little bit later about how he was willing to prioritize and make the right kind of, of choices. But note, he did not delay or excuse his obedience. He did not have a conversation with God. God, I don't really feel like doing this. I'm not comfortable with this. I'm scared to do this. At least nothing that we see. He didn't claim that such obedience was not necessary. And so he followed God in true and real ways. Ways that some today buck against and try to resist. And that's where we want to ask, have we left all and followed God? Luke chapter 5 verse 28 says that this person left all, rose up, and followed Jesus. Can I suggest that if we haven't left everything, we aren't truly following him? I'm not saying that we literally leave everything, but in our mind, a priority of obedience must be established. Abraham had that obedience. He had an obedient faith that will not just believe mentally, but will carry out the dictates that that faith teaches. Abraham also had a worshipful faith. You see in verse 8, as he's going along through his journeys, what is he doing? In verse 8 of chapter 12, he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Verse 18 of chapter 13, Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Chapter 14 and verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High. 
possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And it says there he gave him a tithe of all. I'm sorry I missed that last part there. Uh, not only did he have an attitude of worshiping God, it seems like he was blessed for the fact that he was that way. Here's this man, Melchizedek, who takes the time to bless Abraham and appreciate Abraham and even give him part of the, what had come out of that situation uh, after the kings that were battling in chapter 14 after he rescued Lot. And so let's ask some basic questions here. Do we move or travel sometimes and, and leave our faith behind? Some people may find themselves in a new place with a new career, new school. Maybe you have a young person moving away from home and moving away from accountability. Of course, we know this is why we try to be so careful to make sure that children are in a place where they're going to have access to a faithful congregation and good brethren that will help them out. But you know what? Satan is constantly going to seek to pull us away from faithful people who love us and want to help. We need to be mindful of that. And so because of that, we need to have a worshipful faith that says, I'm going to worship God. Uh, wherever I am, I'm going to make that a priority. Uh, whatever travels I take, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be able to worship God with faithful brethren. And another question we need to consider, have we even begun to have true worshipful faith? It's always healthy for us to go back and recheck our foundations, right? And we have so many saints in this world who seem to be driven by their own flights of fancy. When the preacher leaves a congregation, sometimes that's a pretty convenient time for a family to decide that, that they're going to go to another congregation or maybe just simply stop worshiping altogether. And we know that this is because they have no root in themselves. That is exposed when we allow smaller things to impact our faith and we do not have the kind of worshipful faith that Abraham had. Abraham also had a humble faith. Abraham did not allow hostility to continue without a resolution. Look back in chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. You see there's strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And so in verse 8 of chapter 13, Abraham, Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Can we suggest that gentleness, not selfishness, will solve problems? This is the problem, right? There is infighting between Abram's men and Lot's men. And Abram has the foresight to recognize this cannot continue the way, excuse me, the way that it is continuing right now. Abram could have sought out the better land. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to take the better land. And you go over here. But he gave Lot the choice. This upheld their familial relationship, and it didn't let lesser things get in the way. Will we allow bitter disagreements to erupt into hostility? We need to be careful 
of course, when we disagree with our brethren. We need to be very careful that our disagreements are rooted in truth if it has to lead to some aspect of that hostility. If it's a matter of opinion, if it's a matter of preference, you know, we have to be really careful about that. I, you know, when you think about what's being said in 1 Corinthians about unity, he says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18, First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Not every division is sinful or wrong, but there is always sin in the right kind of division. Does that make sense? It is always involved. And we have to ask ourselves when we face these disagreements, when we get into the Word and we try to figure out what is going on here, what is the truth of this, where do you stand, where do I stand, I have to ask myself, am I the one who is approved in this? Not in a prideful way, but I have to take a step back and think about the fact, am I arguing for my own sake? Am I arguing for my ego? Am I arguing for my pride? Or am I arguing for the truth of God? Now, this disagreement, this, this hostility here, was purely, I think, personalities and person aspects, right? And there may be times where we see brethren leave a congregation because maybe there's just no way that these two people can work together. But we really need to try to go past that hurdle when, uh, when at all possible, if at all possible. So, And in those, in those disagreements, we need to have that humility to take a step back and recognize I might be the one in the wrong here, but still hold to God's word and his truth. Abraham had an intervening faith. Chapter 14 and verse 14 Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. Abram risked his life to save his nephew, didn't he? And he did this and more. Even though Lot, in chapter 13, verse 12, had pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Even though Lot had made this choice, and I think this choice ultimately negatively affected his family, Abram goes out and he saves him. In Genesis 18, of course, we see Abram reasoning with God, and we won't read that, but we see him reasoning with God concerning the fact that Lot is there. He wants to make sure that he's going to be okay. He, he reasons concerning the number of righteous left in these cities. And he was doing this really to look out for his family member. And also he was take, looking out for his... For, uh, uh, he was taking a risk to do this as well. Look at verse 18. And as he is... Uh, interceding or intervening for Lot and Sodom, you might say. 
Verse 27, Indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Verse 29, He spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there could be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. And so he said, I won't do it, will not do it if I find 30 there. That's not the whole passage, of course, but it's an interesting thing that's happening here. That Abram is putting himself in this place to, to beg and plead God on the point of his justice. And I would ask this question Do we stand in the gap for the sake of our brethren? Ezekiel 22, please. Ezekiel 22, we'll be looking at verse 30. It says there, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own head, says the Lord God. Interesting verse to look at in, in, in terms of what we see Abram doing. You know, it's easy to abandon brethren when they've put themselves into troubles and danger. It's easy for us to say, well, he brought this trouble on himself. And we may feel right and just with this sentiment. We may feel like, well, this person, we tried to help them. And they didn't want our help and they put themselves in this place. But let me ask, are we compassionate and loving with this sentiment? We need to be careful with the way that we treat each other. And we need to have respect and love and patience with each other in these things to appreciate the love that God gives to us. Think about the patience He has for us. We recognize that there, there is a time where that patience is kind of drawn out, but are we standing in the gap? Are we trying to defend our brethren? Are we trying to help our brethren? All within the scope of doing the right thing and holding to God's truth. Abraham had a hospitable faith. You look in chapter 18, we see what I would suggest, of course, to be angels visiting him. And immediately, it seems like he has this uh, great uh, sense of making sure that they're provided for and taken care of. And, of course, in Hebrews 13, too, we have the statement that, you know, by doing some, by entertaining strangers, some have unwittingly entertained angels. We need to ask ourselves, am I hospitable like Abram? The term hospitable supposedly, as I understand, means lover of strangers. And that seems to be a rarity in this day and age. You know, nobody's on their front porches anymore. Uh, nobody's talking to their neighbors freely and openly very much anymore. We've got our uh, air-conditioned bubbles, and we stay there, and we don't typically try to leave them if we don't have to. But, uh, but here, here Abr- Abram is going out of his way to make sure that these guests are comfortable. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. There's something there. God expects us to be hospitable. He expects us to have a faith that is hospitable. Abraham also had a persistent faith. The way that Abraham died, I love 
what's said in Genesis 25, 8. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. In reading that, you might wonder, he's gathered to his people. Who was his people? And that's really the question we need to ask ourselves. Will I be gathered to God's people? I don't think Abram... I don't think Abraham was gathered to his people back in Ur of the Chaldees. I don't think Abram, Abraham was gathered back to his family. I think Abraham was gathered back to his people, as is mentioned in Hebrews eleven fourteen. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have, have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I think that's the homeland that Abraham was looking for. And if he had called to mind Ur of the Chaldees from which he had come out, he would have had opportunity to return. That was not on his mind. Let me suggest that needs to not be on our mind when we think of eternal things. So often when we're trying to figure out the, the commands of God and what's going on with these commands. We use our families and our feelings and our emotions to try to make these decisions. We need to be listening to Him. And when you think about these aspects, these things that we caught up in, get caught up in that trip us up, those things are not going to matter eternally. I need to be thinking about the eternal things, deal with the temporal things, but know that they're not going to matter in the final result. Related to that, Abraham had a prioritized faith. And I know that's sort of a detailed way. I couldn't really think of a better term for that. But what did Abraham do? He gave up family. In Genesis 11:31, we see that uh, Terah and his family uh, are, are, you know, go out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. They came to Haran and dwelt there in Genesis 11:31. That was a paganistic uh, society. It was an idolatrous society that Abraham's family is wrapped up in. And he left that. When, when Joshua is asking the people, choose who you will serve, whether, you're, whether the gods that your father served, those are the gods that he's referring to. The gods that Abraham's family served. So Abraham left that. He left the religion he had been a part in. He left the life there. He left his family there. And he even had to leave sons behind along the way. In Genesis 17, 18, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He wanted Ishmael to be the son of promise. And it seems obvious that he loved Ishmael very deeply. And in Genesis 21, 10 through 12, let's turn over there. Genesis 21 and verse 10. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. 
This was not something that Abram, Abraham wanted to happen. He wanted things to go with Ishmael, but it was not to be so. But ultimately, at least he wanted Ishmael to have a place, but they had to leave. And in 22 and verse 12, you think about this. Not only did Abraham leave his family, not only did he leave the religion he grew up with, not only did he forego a son that he dearly loved and sent him away, when God commanded him to give up the son of promise and kill him, he did not refuse God. God says, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Brothers and sisters, what are we withholding from God? What are we keeping back from him? We need to be honest in answering this question. Some people hold back family, possessions, careers, and say, God, you can have everything in my life but this. What disrespect and dishonor toward the Creator in this action? He made us. He deserves all. We all wrestle with this, don't we? I love my son. I don't ever want my son to become an idol. We can treasure our children more than we ought to. Do we make special exceptions for our children in worship or service to God? Do we allow them to to disrespect God by looking at something else when they ought to be worshiping Him? Why? Why should we withhold them from their potential in His kingdom? Some families withhold, you know, they have young children who become Christians and they they don't encourage them to go to the business meeting. They don't encourage them to be a part of the congregation. Why? Why are we keeping our children from working for the Lord? Why are we withholding them from God? There's no good reason. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Matthew 22, 37. And then earlier on, Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These lines can become so blurred, brothers and sisters, and we need to be so very careful that we do not allow our faith to get the wrong kind of priority. Well, finally, let's appreciate that Abraham had a hopeful faith. Abraham had been given awesome, awesome promises. Going back to 12 and verse 7, He says, to your descendants, I will give this land. He builds an altar there to the Lord. In chapter 15, in verse 13, he makes a promise there that even is in a negative way, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. All of these promises were, were, were great and also they were darker, maybe. But of course, Abraham never would realize these promises. And we see that clearly in Hebrews 10 uh, in the passages there. We don't have time to read that. And yet, Abraham held fast to God and never abandoned the relationship of faith that he had with him. 
Are we hopeful? Are we serving God with the sense of, well, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm just going to keep doing it. And I know that I'm going to avoid hell this way, so this, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to avoid hell. We know that's not the end of things. Avoiding hell, of course, is a good reason to obey God. But God expects us to grow in His service to the point that we appreciate and we are hopeful concerning these promises. And I think Hebrews 6 tells us something there. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What a great example we have in Abraham. And I know that we've all heard sermons about Abraham before. Maybe this one was not that different. But when we look at the examples God has given us, how how wonderful a gift it is. We can appreciate these good examples of faith, and especially the faith of Abraham that tells us so much about how we ought to live, what our mindset ought to be, and the God that we serve, and His grace and His love toward us. I would encourage us to think about this seriously. And certainly think about where your soul is. Think about the words of Jesus. If you need to respond to the gospel call, we encourage you to do so while we stand and sing.